Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares talks about our common human struggle with sin and how to fight against it. God enables, He strengthens the truth of His Word, gives me that power, it gives me the means by which I am able to do the objective of what this sermon is all about. If Moses says, don't create a golden calf, don't create a golden calf. I know your heart wants to do one, or at least the fleshly part of your humanity wants it, but don't. heard the warning, think before you act. It's good advice. So when you're wrestling with sin, the question is, have you considered the consequences? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares urges us to carefully consider the consequences of sin. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. Glad you're with us. We're in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, and Stephen is describing Israel's disobedience in the wilderness. Get ready for a gospel lesson from the Old Testament called The Paganism of the People. Now here's Pastor Mike. Look at verse 39 again. It says, our fathers refused. There's a, there's a volitional decision, a issue of what I don't want to do. I don't want to do it. As a matter of fact, I take the avenue through which it comes and I, this Greek word is to shove. I push it out of the way. I shove it aside. I thrust it aside. I don't want to hear Moses anymore. Why? Because there was a problem in their hearts. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Now, I'm in the desert following Moses. I, my body is here following Moses, but my heart really is back in Egypt. It was great when we were back there by the Nile eating our, you know, our leeks and onions and all the things we used to do, and, and, and we had normalcy even though we were slaves, and I don't know why we're following you, Moses. And they go to his brother, Aaron, the priest, and they say, make for us gods who will go before us. This, by the way, is Exodus 32, is the scene of the golden calf. How clear was Moses about what God said in Exodus 20? Do you know your Bible chapters? Exodus 20, what's in Exodus 20? Ten commandments. Ten commandments. Commandment number one, no other gods before me. And then command number two, no idols. Don't make any idols. By chapter 32, they're going to make us an idol. And why? Well, we're not liking this prophet. Matter of fact, he's not working on our timetable. He went up on the mountain. How long is he going to be there? Look what he says here in verse 40. As for this Moses who led us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Verse 41, and they made a calf in those days and they offered a sacrifice to the idol and they were rejoicing in the work of their hands. Now, God had given them living oracles, living truth. Here's the thing that I think you should, here's the instruction manual for the cockpit of life and you're there just flipping switches, pulling levers, pushing buttons any way you want. You don't care about what I said. You can do whatever you want. Your self-styled religion, you're gonna do what you choose to do. Well, you can say that's a passage about non-Christians. I just wanna warn you it's easy for us to have the same kind of response as non-Christians have. I just want you to know this. We still have a problem. And the problem is we're still encased in this flesh. And this flesh, as the Bible puts it, is at war with the spirit. And they don't jive with each other when it comes to their desires. Their desires are pitted against each other. So in that sense, I just want you to know there's a part of you that does not want to listen to what God says. Matter of fact, that'd be a good way to put it. Just like the Israelites here didn't want to listen, I think we need to be aware of, I put it this way, beware of your desire not to listen. Not at the core of your being if you sit here as a Christian, but your flesh is not going to want to hear these things. When there's a conflict between the core of what I know is true, hearing the words of God, knowing this is what he says, and I listen to the culture say, well, that's a fundamentalist, bigoted, narrow-minded, Bible-thumping thing to believe. I just want to retract 
And, and my flesh goes, don't, don't do that. Don't make them feel that way. And I don't really see beyond that, that the tempter is the one who's basically saying, God didn't really say that. God didn't really say that. I'm just really not wanting the conflict. To put it in more practical terms, our day has become a day where we are really concerned about what everyone feels. I don't want to hurt your feelings, man. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to emotionally wound you with my words. And that's the problem. Because I can say, I heard what God said. It's very clear. I read it. He's given us living oracles. The prophet has spoken. And I get it. But in my flesh, I don't really like a lot of that. The desires of my flesh. And then the world says, you can't possibly believe that. The living oracles are what they are. The instruction manual for the Christian life is sitting on your lap. You cannot change that. And he says, don't pull that lever, don't push that button, don't toggle that switch. They're painted very clearly, yellow and black. Don't do it. Don't eat of the tree. You're going to have people saying, is that really what God said? You'll have Christian publishers saying, is that really what God said? Because it's going to resonate with the flesh because the flesh now can be in sync with the culture and we can all be a part of this movement that's more affirming and more loving. I get it. I get it. But behind it all is the tempter who is taking the words of God and having you doubt them. And I'm saying, we got to be resolved to know, even though inside of me somewhere, there is a desire for me not to listen. I got to listen. Why? Back to our passage, Acts chapter seven. Because if nothing else, we need to think of this. How does God respond when his people don't listen? Verse 42. Look at the last two verses of our passage this morning. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the hosts of heaven. You mean the people that he redeemed out of slavery from Egypt? He gave them over to sin? Yeah, as it's written in the book of the prophets. Amos said, look, did you bring your slain beast to me during those 40 years? Oh, house of Israel? No, really your heart was somewhere else. And I just let your heart be somewhere else. You set up your tent and in your heart you were worshiping Moloch or, the, or, or your star god or Raphan and the images. I mean, I, I let you do it. I could have stopped you, could have zapped you. And then all that accumulated warning came through the prophets, prophet after prophet after prophet. And then in the end, when you didn't listen, I sent you into exile into Babylon. Ultimate humiliation. Nebuchadnezzar cleans out the place, strips the altar, knocks it to the ground, burns it with fire. And you guys are slaves again, not in Egypt, this time in Babylon. So you got punished for it. Number three, jot this down. You and I, we need to consider sin's consequences. I need you to think it isn't just about a couple days of guilt and shame when you pull that lever. There are other things that are going to come cascading on the heels of those compromises. We've got to say, that's a good thing for us to think about. Now look, it's, there's a passive dimension in verse 42. But God turned away and gave them over to worship. Well, I'm glad that didn't apply to us. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Think about it. When in James chapter 4, he calls the Christians spiritual adulterers and they need to weep and mourn and wash their hands, purify their hearts. He says this, you need to draw near to God because he's waiting for you right where you left. Is that what it says? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I don't want to make too much out of the spatial analogy, but it looks a lot like this. Here are my people. I brought them out of Egypt. I've redeemed them. And now they are going astray in their hearts. And so guess what? I'm backing off. God, step back. God turned away, gave them over. You want to go sin this week? Want to pull some levers, push some buttons? Okay. But let me just motivate you with that. That concept, do you want God further away from you or closer to you? I'd like God close to me. I'd like, as it says in Nehemiah and Ezra, I'd like his good hand to be upon us. I'd like to have a close relationship with God. I'd like to walk in fellowship. John, 1 John chapter 1. I would like to be in the light as he is in the light. I don't want to go away and, and follow these temptations and then have him step away. I don't want God stepped away just a, a, an inch from me. 
I would like to be close with. I'd like to abide in the vine. That's what I'd like, because I don't want him stepping back. Not a good thing when the God who is the God of every good and perfect gift, I don't want him stepping back from me. I don't want him giving me over to some kind of habitual sin in my life. He gave them over to habitual sin. They came to church, so to speak, but they weren't really worshiping God. They were worshiping their own desires and pleasures and what they wanted. This syncretistic kind of, I'm going to kind of want a little Egyptian worship in my worship, and can't we kind of have both the best of both worlds? That's all passive. And it's bad, even though you say, well, you said we'd never leave us or forsake us. I understand that. The condition of my redemption in Christ, in terms of justification, I am never going to be orphaned. But you know what? My relationship with him may not be that close this week, based on my response to temptations. I don't want that passive giving me over to these sins. And I don't want this, the last line of verse 43, I don't want the active response of God in a negative way. I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Would God ever send his kids back into slavery? Ah, he wouldn't do that. That's exactly what he did. Yeah, but you, yeah, come on. God's for us, man. I've read those books about the guy that apologized to the Washington Cathedral. He said, God's never gonna leave us. You preached that, Pastor Mike. God, you said God's never leaving us. There's so many verses. Think of a verse you've, you've, you've quoted. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many times have you quoted that verse? Just think of that one verse. That's a verse given to Christians in the epistles. It was, of course, a quotation of the Old Testament. But he's saying to Christians, you need to be humble. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud. Let me ask you this question. Can God oppose you this week? Absolutely. Matter of fact, in your Bible, this last passage, can you go to Revelation chapter 2? Do you know what we're in once I say Revelation 2? We're in these seven letters to the seven churches that, Christ's, that Christ writes to these churches of Asia Minor. And as he writes to these churches, he's saying, here's who I am. Here's the good things you're doing. Here's the bad things you're doing. Now, if you don't stop those bad things, here's what's going to happen. So that's the pattern of these. And he encourages us with, you know, you need to overcome, you need to hang in there, you need to stick to it, you need to do what I tell you. But there's that little penultimate thing that he says of you'd better make sure that you stop touching the levers I told you to stop touching. Called repentance. Now, who are these people? They're churches. What does he think of their churches? He, chapter one says he's walking among the lampstands of these churches. He loves these churches. He's given his life for these churches. He, he, he receives the worship of these churches. He, he fuels the angel or the messenger of the churches to preach the word in those churches. He's for these churches. Now, I can say God is for us. Who can be against us? But I guess the answer to that question in this passage is God himself can be against us. And I don't want that. You need to consider sin's consequences. Look at chapter two. Let's just go through a few of these. Look at verse five, the church at, at, at Ephesus. He says, remember therefore from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and bless you because I'll never leave it. No, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent, you keep pulling the lever, you keep pushing the button, you keep toggling the switch. He said, don't do it. Don't touch that. Don't eat from the tree. If the day you do it, you're going to surely die. There will be punishment. There will be discipline. There will be consequences. God ever shut his churches down that he loves? Absolutely. God wipes his churches out sometimes. I will come to you, Christ says. Drop down to the church of Pergamum, verse 16. To the church of Pergamum. He says, therefore, repent. If not, 
I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. You got people in your church that are going to be warred against. Well, that's huge. I don't want Christ coming against me or people in our church. Well, I'm speaking to the church, the gathered church. Hundreds and hundreds of people here this weekend, and I'm saying to the church, pushing buttons, flipping switches, pulling handles you shouldn't push, pull, or flip, then here's the thing. I don't want Christ coming and warring against you. That's the warning. Drop down to Thyatira, the next uh, section, 22 and 23. Revelation chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. I will throw her into a sickbed. Talking about this, this immorality, sexual immorality. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. He's talking about his church here. Unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. What? Sickness and death. That's not a tweetable line from the Bible this week. I mean, what? I don't, I'm not going to put that on my Facebook page. But think about it. Think about it. That's exactly, exactly what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, you know, here are people taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They're not doing what I said. They're abusing this worship service. And he says, that's why some among you are weak, some are sick, and some have even died. Who, who's killing the people in Corinth? I don't know. You think God can't oppose us because you've, you know, heard some one-liners from people that sound godish, and you've read Christian books that tell you, you know, he's all for you and never going to do anything to oppose you. You've got to read what God says. Here are the living oracles of God. Look at chapter 3, the church of Sardis. Look at verse 3. He says this. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. These are words that are written, given to us, in this case, by the apostles. This is the last book of the New Testament that's written. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. It's never a good thing. If I said, oh, I got a thief coming to my house tonight. Bad. Taking stuff I got. Taking it away. Don't want that. I want to keep my stuff. Have stuff in my room that I like and stuff in my house I like, stuff in my garage I want to keep. I don't want a thief coming and taking it. That's a bad thing. Christ says, I'm going to come to your church like a thief. And I'm going to hit you blindside. You're not going to know at what hour I come against you. I come against you. I come against you. Can you consider sin's consequences when you're tempted to pull that lever? It keeps knocking me on the knee. I just want to pull that lever. Everyone else is pulling the lever. I don't know. Just let's see what happens. Maybe I can get away with it. How about the most famous one? Drop all the way down to verse 16. Church at Laodicea. Talk about idolatry. The perfect picture of idolatry. I want a foot in the world and I want a foot in the church. I kind of want to be right here in the middle. He says, man, I wish that you were hot or cold. Verse 15 says, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. If you want a really vivid picture of what Christ feels toward his church when they're engaged in idolatry, that's why John ends his epistle in 1 John by saying, little children, you just flee from idols. He says, it makes me sick. And you know, I hope you know, if you've been around church, that the word spit is not like spitting something out of your mouth because, you know, whatever. You got a sunflower seed in your mouth. This is the word, you can look this up, is the word to vomit. It's to, I, I, I want, I, I'm nauseous. You want to talk about my negative response to the church. I mean, that's it. The church makes me vomit. I, that's not going to make those poetic books that are going to sell well in Christian bookstores. But you know what? It's the living oracles that remind us to choose life and to choose God's blessing and to choose his hand of favor, which means fight temptation this week, church. That's what it means. And I get it. We sin. If you say you're not sinning, then you're a liar. The truth's not in you, right? We all stumble in many ways. I can think of so many passages. Of course, this is a problem. I'm just trying to mitigate it. Right? I'm trying to slow it down. I'm trying to get us to commit ourselves this morning to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm struggling with that. 
I remember when, uh, and we've read in our DVR recently, after they sent the spies in and only Joshua and Caleb, we read it this week, came back. Do you remember what happens in chapter 14 after Moses says, okay, indictment is you're all going to die in the wilderness. I mean, I'm going to lead you through it and your kids are going to go into the promised land. Your grandkids are going to the promised land, but you are not. So we're done. We're not going to go in. You said we couldn't take these people in, in Jericho and in, in Canaan. So we're done. It's almost a super sad. It's one of the saddest parts of, of the book of Numbers in chapter 14. They all show up the next day. Remember that? And they said to Moses, okay, we're going now. We'll go now. Can we go now? We'll go now. We're sorry. We did the wrong thing. Like I said, it's more than just the two days of shame and guilt. And then we confess our sin. Uh, Moses, because you're forgiven, right? Confess and follow God. That's good, which they weren't willing to do as we continue to read our daily Bible reading. But you do understand that the consequences lingered on. And if you're still, and there's so many overlapping consequences to the sins we commit as Christians, if you think about that, sometimes you just grow weary. And you may be tired. You may be at the place now like, I just, I'm just tired of the fight. I'm tired of the culture pressing in on me. I'm tired of the Satan tempting me. I'm just tired of it all. I mean, those, those yellow and black levers and buttons and switches, I just, I can't, I just, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can fight another week. Let me turn you to Psalm 119, just to close. I know I said Rev 2 would be the end, but I take you to Psalm 119, I actually take you to the next section here, which is, this is a acrostic poem. You know what an acrostic poem is, right? Every sentence in these groups of verses starts with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That's why they're marked with those strange words, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, Hey. Hey comes next, but let me get to Dalit, the section just above it. They all start with the letter Dalit in Hebrew. And that doesn't matter, neither here nor there, but the theme of this section, I think, is so identifiable for some of you who may hear a sermon like this, go, you're always talking about this, I get it, I've heard it, I don't trust God enough, I don't obey God enough, I'm just tired of it all. I want to encourage you that the thing that we're focusing on trying to maintain the decision to do what God has said, the power to have that capacity. I know in terms of ontologically, there is a sense in which the new birth gives me that capacity, but the fuel to get there is the word itself. The word is not only the goal. I want to know the word and keep the word. It's the word is going to get me the power to get it done. It's, that's the good thing. The, the solution is simple, Bible, right? We get God's living oracles and we learn it and we know it and we recite it and we think according to it and we get the strength to be able to do it. Let's start in this section here, Psalm 119, verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Here's a guy that's struggling. You see that? But here's his hope. Give me life according to your word. I mean, even I think it's Isaiah 40. We quote it all the time, right? The young men, they stumble and fall. You got, they got used that, that, are, that are grow exhausted, but God renews your strength. It's that verse itself that reminds us of God's willingness to give us power, right? Give strength to the, to the weak. My soul clings to the dust, but I know this about the Bible. God, God gives me life. He can empower me. When I told of my ways, when I was honest, I confessed my sins. You answered me. Teach me your statutes. I need more of your truth. Make me understand your precepts. I need that. I know spirit and life is everything. I need your spirit. I need your illumination. The flesh is of no value at all. God, help me understand this. Get my Bible open and understand it. And then let me think about it throughout the day. I will meditate on your wondrous works. Not just the precepts and the principles, but look at the history that plays out how it all worked in history. My soul melts away for sorrow. So this is whatever's going on here. This is a picture of grief and struggle. And he goes, my soul melts away for sorrow, but back to the means, right? Strengthen me according to your word. I think of the word. I recognize the truth of your word. I see the promises of your word. That gives me strength. And then, God, I need your help. 
Like Jesus said, lead me not into temptation. Look at verse 29. Put false ways far from me. Now, I know some temptations are never going to go away. They'll be right there banging against your knee. And it'll be yellow and it'll be black. It'll be striped. It'll be warning. Don't pull this. And it's going to be right there. But at least let it get it far away from our hearts, right? Let's just, okay, I got that constant chronic temptation. But God, put it away from me. If you can, if you can move it, great. There's some things built into the cockpit of the Christian life that aren't moving. They're right there. But I want to make sure it's, there's, there's buffer. There's, there's hedges. There's fences. And graciously teach me your law. I need to make sure I don't do what you tell me not to do. I need to do what you, should, what you tell me I should do. Here's the volitional part, verse 30. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. God, I don't want to do these things you tell me not to do. I've set your rules before me. Even when Satan's saying, did he really say that? Did he, really? he didn't really mean that, did he? That just seems really confining and, and, and harsh. No, no, no. God, I, I'm going to believe it. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. And I'm not thinking laterally here. I'm not thinking other. the world's going to shame you. Your non-Christian family members are going to shame you. Satan's going to shame you. The accuser, the brethren, you're going to be shamed by a lot of people. But what I care about is the ultimate shaming. I don't want to be shamed before God. I cling to your testimony. Let me not be put to shame. That's called vindication. Because here's my commitment. This week, this month, this year, let's all resolve to this. Verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments. And here's the synergy here. When you enlarge my heart. What a great truth. God enables, he strengthens the truth of his word, gives me that power. It gives me the means by which I am able to do the objective of what this sermon is all about. If Moses says, don't create a golden calf, don't create a golden calf. I know your heart wants to do one, or at least the fleshly part of your humanity wants it, but don't. Don't listen to the tempter. Don't give into the pressure of the culture. And if nothing else fails, just reread Revelation 2 and 3. Just remember there are consequences when we do, and I don't want that. I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. Yeah, it's serious. And it's a difficult but much-needed reminder about sin and the consequences of sin. This is Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares, and you're listening to the conclusion of a message called The Paganism of the People. Now, if you joined us late or want to listen again, this program is available on the Focal Point app or on our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, if you've been listening for a while, you know that Pastor Mike always delivers the straightforward Word of God. He doesn't shy away from uncomfortable truths. And if you want to help us deliver these life-changing messages to more people, please partner with us to expand the reach of this program. Support Focal Point with a one-time financial gift or become a Focal Point partner by making your donation a monthly gift. To give, please call 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. And to show our appreciation, we'll send you a book Pastor Mike selected to go along with our current series called The Most Misused Stories in the Bible, Surprising Ways Popular Bible Stories Are Misunderstood by Eric Bargerhoff. Request this book when you call and donate at 888-320-5885 or go online to focalpointradio.org. And before we wrap up today, I'd like to tell you about a wonderful opportunity to spend some time with Pastor Mike in person on an incredible Alaskan cruise coming up in August of 2024. Well, here's Pastor Mike with more information about this special invitation. 
Hi, Pastor Mike Fabar is here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me from August the 4th through August the 11th, 2024. We're gonna discover the splendor of God's word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska to learn more. Book your spot today at focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for a new message called The Places of Worship for Israel. Hope you'll join us Thursday for more Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.